All right. Does anybody know what we started last week? Jacob taught. Mm -hmm. <laughs> was it about Jericho? Well, not quite, but yeah. Oh, yes, there was. It was a start of it. So the book of Joshua. That's a terrible marker. The book of Joshua, and we kind of have a theme verse in Joshua. Joshua. So turn to the book of Joshua, chapter one. And the theme verse for Joshua that we're going to do, because it applies to the entire thing, is Joshua chapter 1, verse number 9. We're going to read that. Well, by we, I mean you. Have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. Right? So, God says, I command you... Don't be afraid, even of sharks. Right, right. Okay. So this is what God says, and why? And who's He talking to first? Everybody. Well, specifically one person to begin Joshua. with. Joshua to begin with, because what did he start out doing? Was he always in charge? No, he was, was following like, like, Amos. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, like he said, look at apprentice testing. Kind of an apprentice, but before he was an apprentice, he was famous for one thing. No, that's bad. Famous for one thing. There was, under Moses, Moses sent spies. Oh, yeah. To the promised land. How many spies? Him and Caleb, right? How many spies? Uh, Two. Seven. Two good ones. Three. Ten oh, bad five. ones. Oh, twelve. So, yes, twelve. Thank you. <laughs> two, two and ten is twelve. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. So, with twelve spies that he sent, only, you're right, Joshua and Caleb were the only ones that came back and said, we can take this promised land. So if you recall, way back when, back to the days of yore, when Israel was in, in uh, Egypt, okay, they went through, they crossed, when they were freed from Egypt, they crossed the Red Sea, okay, and then they went up to this area here, and this is the area, essentially, Sea of Galilee, the Jordan River. Anybody know what that is? The Red Sea. The Dead Sea. The Dead Sea. Okay, so. This is the Red Sea, and this is the Red Sea. Red Sea, Dead Sea, Med Sea, because Mediterranean doesn't Med Sea. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. Okay, so the Red Sea, the Dead Sea, and the Mediterranean Sea, all right? They were supposed to, they got down to the border of this promised land, and they were supposed to go in and take it. And essentially, their march was like 11 days of travel. And after 11 days of travel, they were supposed to go right in. Okay? Now, they stopped and got some rules along the way, and they stayed for 40 days at the mountain and they didn't do so good and things like that. Along their journey, they did some bad things, but 
Essentially, they spent the 12 spies in. 12 spies came back. 10 said, it is a scary place. It's full of giants. And giants. And more giants. And sharks. <laughs> and they're everywhere. <laughs> and they're everywhere. No, they, they, we are scared to death. We can't do it. They look at us like we're little tiny grasshoppers. And they're going to go, and then we're dead. And God had said, if you go in, I will give it to you. That's as simple as that. Now the two, Joshua and Caleb, said, yes, we can take it. God said we can take it. Look at the... Look at the fruit. They brought back huge bunches of grapes. They had to carry between two of them. Okay? This isn't too relevant, but was it like a big vine with little normal size grapes, or was it a big vine with big grapes? I have no idea. I have no idea. My guess is they were fairly large, but between two people, I think you could carry that by yourself. Right? So imagine what a... Maybe it was 100 pounds. Of grapes in one bunch. I don't know. Maybe more to carry between two guys on their on a stick on their shoulders, right? So that's one big bunch of grapes, whether they're big grapes or millions of little grapes. It's a lot of grapes, okay? Either way, it's a lot of grapes. Okay, you're not picking that up at the grocery store anywhere. <clears throat> so what they did, they said, This is gonna be great, let's take it. And nobody wanted to go. And so, for 40 years, they wandered out in this wilderness for 40 years. And God kept them alive, and God gave them manna every day for 40 years. He took care of them. They lived by the law. They did some dumb things. Sometimes they got in trouble for the dumb things they did. They complained a lot. But God kept them alive for 40 years. Until after 40 years, everyone in that generation died, except for Joshua, Caleb, and Moses. Those were the only three of the entire generation. So this does not promote that your parents always are more spiritual than you. In fact, these guys didn't do that well, okay? Which means... You all have a great hope that you can do a great job despite who your parents are, right? So God says, come over here. Moses takes them up to the edge of the promised land, and there essentially are mountains there on this side of the Jordan River Valley. Now, what's interesting about the Jordan River Valley, the entire river valley is under sea level. Okay? It's below sea level. I think like a thousand feet below. Because somehow the big tectonic plates went whoosh and crushed it all the way down. And the river runs in the bottom of the valley. Okay? If the sea happened to come over the edges of all the continents, it would rush right in and fill the whole valley. Okay? But it is because of that, there was a very well-watered valley in there. So they came to the edge. Moses was taken by God up in the top of this hill on the mountain here and he was allowed to look in the promised land. And then God killed him. 
and they never saw him again. But he was not allowed to go in. He said, you will. Why not? Because, because he hit the rock, that's why. Well, because of his anger. He was angry. And because he was angry one too many times, and he did it in front of so many people, and God said, I can't allow you to be disobedient to me and to have this blessing and show people that that's how it works, because it's not. And so, though he loved Moses very dearly, and Moses was, it said, the meekest man on the face of the earth, and he used him in many great and mighty ways, his anger got in his way of being able to go into the promised land and lead them. Thus, Joshua comes into play. All right. Caleb actually takes some mountains on the edge. Um, he takes some mountains and he settles his people up on these mountains. Now, they all go in to fight together because that was part of the rule. You're all going in to fight. But from these mountains is the, essentially the edge of the promised land and there are some tribes that come and settle on this side of the Jordan. The rest of the rest of all of Israel has to cross the Jordan, all right? And they are going to go to, last, last week, after we talked about this guy named Joshua, where God says, be strong, be of a good courage, you're going to come in and you're going to do things. Now, what did the people think of Moses? He led them for 40 years. What did the people think of Moses? He's the best. Yeah. He's pretty awesome. Right? He talks right to God. He's gone up in the mountain multiple times and come back talking to God. In fact, after Moses went to see God, he had to wear a veil over his face because he shined. His skin shined from seeing God. All right? This is, not, this is a weird thing, right? So Moses is an unusual leader. He directly talked to God. And here I am, Joshua, coming up. Forty years ago, I said we should go in, right? And since then, I've just been learning behind the scenes. I haven't necessarily gone and talked directly to God. I haven't led these people for 40 years. It's always been Moses, and everyone listens to Moses. And now, how do you think Joshua feels? Nervous. Yeah, how am I going to do this? I'm not going to get this right. When you have a leader that is in place for a long, long time, and the people love him, the next guy in line has got a real tough time, especially if he's a good leader, and he really follows God. He's got a tough time. And God says, don't be afraid. Be strong and of a good courage because we're going to move on. Now, that happens many times in many churches. And this is something for you, this generation, to think about. All right? Our pastor started here how many years ago? 32. 32 years ago. All right? Pastors are wonderful. They don't live forever. 
Okay? So there is a new generation of leadership coming through at some point. And God has a plan. And just because every person has pointed to this person or that person or this person does not mean that that's God's person. So understand that that person has to be ready in their heart, ready and prepared to do this, and also will have to have courage to step up when those changes come. So that's where he's feeling like, I'm going to take these people in and we're going to take this land that 40 years ago I was all set to take. I was young though then. But now he does not have youth anymore on his side. He's not a young man anymore. He added 40 years to his nice youthful figure and 40 years is not helpful to your youthful figure. All right? So, off they go and he sends two spies into the land. Now this is what you learned about last week. The two spies go in and they almost get caught. They go right into the city of Jericho and then who gets them and saves them? Rahab. Rahab. Rahab hides them on her roof and says to the people, go. Alright? Go. They came and then they went. Alright? And what is Rahab? She's a prostitute. Alright? She doesn't do good things. Alright? So, as that person, but even as that, she believes that God can come in and take the city over. She believes it with all her heart. And because of that, she saved them. And when she saved them, they said, you want to say, be saved with this whole city? Then hang a red rope out your window. And when we come, anybody in your house will be saved. Everybody else will not make it. All right? But anybody in your house will be saved. So the spies go back and the guys chase them for a few days. They have to go hide up in the mountainside, up along somewhere in Jericho. They go hide. And then finally they come back and they probably swim back across the river, okay, and get back in. Now, here's the next challenge. And they say, they're afraid of us in that city. But fear doesn't necessarily lose the battle. They still have a great big walled city, all right? How do you take a walled city? Break down the wall. Either break the wall down or siege it. Those are the traditional ways that you do it. Or find some weakness, right? And next time you'll get into uh, the fact that God doesn't use any of those things, right? He's got his own plan on how things are going to happen. But as they come back across the river, they are now planning to take the entire nation of Israel over and take that city. Now, <clears throat> no one knows exactly how many people there were with the Israelites, but there's a few educated guesses. Somewhere between when they started 600,000 to 2 million people. Now, 2 million people is a lot of people. 600,000 is a lot of people, okay? 
that's filling stadiums of people again and again. And you have to feed them every day, and you have to move them. They don't move easily. You try to move a crowd of 300 people. People go this way and that way, and traffic jam, and people don't notice that they're stopped all the traffic, you know. But when you're moving a couple million people, it's a big deal. All right? It's a real big deal. God knows this, and God's been taking them around for 40 years. All right? So now starts the preparation for the battle. And that's really what we're going to talk about, because there is real preparation that's going to happen for this battle before Joshua goes in to fight that battle of Jericho. It's important, and there are multiple things that happen. So let's look at chapter 3. Chapter 3 of the book of Joshua. And we're going to do verses 1 through 5 in chapter 3, please. And Joshua rose early in the morning, and they removed from Shittim. Yep, Shittim. And came into Jordan. He and all the children of Israel and lodged there before they passed over. After three days of um, officers, the officers went all through the camp. They gave orders to the people. They said, Lord God, the priests who are Levites will be carrying it. When you see it, you must move out from where you are and follow it. First number four, you can do. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, and you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Come not near unto it, that ye may know the way by which ye must go, for ye have not passed this way heretofore. And Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. All right, so here's what's going to happen. we got to cross this Jordan River. And God has told me exactly what we're going to do. You're going to take the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the Ark of the Covenant is a box that's essentially, I don't know, a couple of feet deep, a couple of feet wide, and three or four feet long, not big. I mean, it would fit right on that table very easily with room around it, okay? Not a big box. Inside of it are just a couple of things that essentially were memories or put in as a memory for what God did. One of them was a little container of manna. Now, manna was what? What is it? Bread from heaven. What is it? Yes, what is it? It's bread from heaven. Manna really literally means, what is it? When they came up, they said, what is it? And God said, pick it up and eat it. Grind it up, and you eat it. So every day for 40 years, they ate, what is it? Bread. Yes, (laughs) bread from heaven, yes. (laughs) And literally, it wasn't bread, though. It was like seeds picking up seeds, they ground them into a paste and cooked them as 
as like a real light, oily, flaky pastry. Okay, and that's what they ate every day for 40 years. God provided it every morning. They could take just enough for the day, make what they needed. And on the day before the Sabbath day, they took twice as much and made enough for the two days. If any other day they took more than they needed or more than they ate, if they tried to keep it for the next day, it would be filled with worms. Okay? It's gross. So God was trying to teach them, I will provide for you every day. Don't look for tomorrow. Don't look for all the things you need to stock all up. I will provide for you what you need for the day. No, you won't see it until you get up in the morning. Okay? And that's a really important lesson to learn. Manna, the what is it on the ground, is the literally when we go out for the day, God gives us the strength and the, the meat, the food, spiritual food for the day. You got to go look for it. You got to go to the source for your food, right? Which is where you begin is in the Bible. So if you want to be fed every day, you begin there, and then he gives you that strength through that. He provides that day after day after day after day. He wants you to, to depend on him for that and not just say, I read up for the week. I'm going to read six chapters, and then I don't have to read tomorrow in the next five days. All right? That's not the point. The point is every day your mind is thinking about something, your, your heart is thinking about something, you're struggling with something new, you've got something new on your plate, you've got a test today, you've got a hard school a day today, uh, you've got a friend that did something bad to you, you've got someone that said something uh, to you, you're trying to get along with your sisters and brothers, you're trying to get along with your friends. All of those things require his food his manna in your life, being constantly growing, all right? Going to get that. So there's a bowl of that in this Ark of the Covenant, and there is a rod, uh, which is Aaron's staff. And Aaron's staff was one of those amazing miracles that God actually took it and it budded. It was dead, but it budded. That's a good question, and I would say yes, because it stayed in there and stayed in there. And here's the thing. Once they put it in, they couldn't touch it ever again. So you touch the Ark of the Covenant, and you're dead. So how do they deal with it? How do they do something with it? By accident. Well, they did it by accident. Well, sort of by accident. There's rings, golden rings. Once they made it, there's golden rings on the outside. They were never to do anything to touch it with human hands. They had long poles, and the priests would put the poles through the rings and carry it between a line of, of them. Did it have the broken uh, commandments in it? It had, it had commandments. Not, I don't think the broken ones in there, but uh, yes. So there was a few things that God had done. But again, they couldn't just like go and open it up and check it out because you can't go up to it. So, he is now entering the land, the priests first. And he says, take those priests, send them way ahead of you, half a mile ahead of you. How far is a half a mile away? 
12. From here, yeah, how far that way? Up, up, like, up to the end of the road. Probably the end of that road. Okay. So you can see them walking there, but there's nothing but a few priests with a box on their shoulders. Here comes the big army of Israel. And here's six priests with a box. Okay? Way ahead. Why the space? For God to lead, okay, for God to lead their army. Because here's the one thing about understanding who God is. God loves us very deeply. When Jesus came to earth, he says, I have called you friend. And yet, God is not necessarily somebody that you are chummy with, friendly with, right? God demands, commands, respect. You don't just go up and say, hey, do what I want you to do. God doesn't do what you want him to do. All right? He is in control totally. And he has called you friend because Christ died for you. Because his love for you is great. But... That does not mean that you don't treat him with respect. All right? In fact, people that you love, you do treat with respect. Right? If you really love somebody, you treat them with respect, not try to smother them, but try to actually say, I want to do what you want me to do. All right? So God wants you to know that you are to be treated with respect, and so you don't go anywhere near that box. Nowhere near the box. So he sends them up to the Jordan River, the six priests, and they go up to the edge of the river. And do you remember what happened the first time they crossed the Red Sea? Moses split it. Moses split it doing what? The staff. Holds the staff up. <clears throat> Big two, and off it goes, and Moses has the faith. Right? The rest of them just said, what are we going to do? He took us to kill us here. What are we going to do? And Moses stands up and says, here's what it is. This is God has created a way. This time is different. With Joshua, he sends the priests, and they have to walk in the water. They go up to the Jordan River, and the Jordan River, they say, is, was at this time up to two miles wide. That's a lot of water. Okay, The, the Jordan River today has been changed to a much, much narrower thing. It's literally a stream in a lot of places. It's not big. But back in, I think, the early part of the 1900s, they drained a huge section of swamp and changed the way the whole thing is so it's not like it was then. It was a pretty mighty river before, okay? So we gotta get two million people across the river. The priests walk up and they must stand in the water. Go up till they're in the water, at least over their ankles. And then God will work. Why does he make them walk in the water? Why not just go up to the edge? Didn't Moses just go up to the edge and go, Because I have the trust. 
they're, they're trusting. Yes, we have have courage, right? Trust me that you're going to do it. This is their step of faith, right? Step into the water. And there's a song that was written about that. Step into the water, way down a little bit deeper. Okay, so do this. Step in there. Have the faith to know that God will do this. But you've got to make the step. Because God, when you begin your journey of faith, God oftentimes literally bends over backwards to help you understand who he is. But as you grow and mature, your requirements change. He wants you to step further in faith. You to look and go a little further and trust him and say, yeah, I know I've heard that before. Keep going. Keep doing it. Keep working at that. Trust me a little further. Be more calm and know that I'll take care of it. When you're young, in the Lord, and I don't care if you're 100 when you get saved, or if you're 2 when you get saved, okay? When you're young in the Lord, in your relationship with God, things are, I'll say, easier to accomplish. But it's like any baby, right? You don't say to your 11-month-old, okay, now that you stood up, let's run a marathon. Let's start training. Right? You want them to get up and walk, but they have to walk, they have to crawl, then they have to stand, then they have to walk, and then they can start to run. But even when they're two and running, they're not running like a marathon runner. Okay? That takes time and training to do it. And any growth in the Christian life takes that. All right? So here we are. They're stepping into that water, and the priests only are to touch that, even the poles to the box. Now, remember, inside of the tabernacle, this was the place of worship, which was essentially a tent. There was a building, and that building had a 15-foot cubic building in the back, and I think this was about 30 by 15 foot, 15 feet high. The priests could go into this spot. Everybody else worshipped in the front of here, all around here. The priests could go in here, and once a year, this is where the Ark of the Covenant sat, the high priest could go in and ask for atonement on one day a year, Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement, ask for atonement for the entire uh, country of Israel. Because God said he could do it. And that's the only reason. He had to sacrifice an animal and come in with blood. And if his heart was not right when he walked in, he dropped dead. All right, He was the only one to pass beyond that curtain. You didn't touch the curtain. You didn't go near the curtain. It was the kind of thing where, no way. You didn't do anything like that. So they tied ropes around their ankles, and they had bells on their cloaks when they went in. And the reason is, is because if they heard the bells, they knew they were moving and alive still. And if they did not, 
At some point, if the bells stop for a long time, they might pull the body out. You didn't go in to get him because you weren't going to make it out either. Okay? So it was a serious thing, and God said, You will not approach me without understanding, first of all, that you can't approach me. That's why. Not because he's a mean God, but because sin has separated mankind and God, and only the blood of a sacrifice, the atonement through a sacrifice, can do that. Now, when Jesus came, he ripped the veil of the curtain in, in two, that curtain in half, opening access to God because he died permanently for all. As it was then, they were killing a lamb every year, and that lamb really wasn't covering people's sins. It was really to show what was needed to, to teach them. Okay, So that's where the Ark of the Covenant normally sat, and God sat on what was called the mercy seat, which had two wings of two angels folded over, uh, and they were kneeling down here, and those wings, angels touched, and God's presence would sit right on the top of those wings. Okay? They would come, they'd set the box in, to put the tent up around it, and then God's, the Shekinah glory, it was called, would come in and, and take his presence in there. And they could actually at times watch it descend on the, on the tabernacle, okay? Very interesting, right? Okay, so with that, they learn to respect God, and that's why they're half a mile ahead of him. Respect him. I'm going ahead of you, he says, to take this whole journey. Just follow me. I want you to know I'm in charge, all right? All right, so... <coughs> Verse number 13, we're going to skip ahead a little bit. Verse number 13, as they get across there, what happens next? Verse 13 through 17 of chapter 3. And it shall, and it shall come to pass, as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests that bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of Jordan, that the waters of Jordan shall be cut off from the waters that come down from above, and they shall stand upon it. So the people took their tents down. They prepared to go across the Jordan River, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant, covenant went ahead of them. And as they buried the Ark where ark were come unto Jordan, the priests that bear the ark were dipped into the brim of the water. water. The Jordan overfloweth all with his banks all the time of harvest. That the waters which came down from above stood and rose up, rose up upon a heap very far from the city Adam, that is beside Zeratan. And those that came down toward the sea of the plain, even the salt sea, failed and were cut off. And the people passed over right against Jericho. Verse 17, please. And the priests that bear the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of Jordan, and all the Israelites passed over on dry ground until the people were passed clean over Jordan. All right. So literally it says the water up upstream 
at a, near a city named Adam just started to pile up in the river. It piled up higher like a dam was in front of it. And it must have been something because people saw it upstream. All of a sudden, water is like piling in this river. And it's not flowing. And this is just sort of all going down, down to the Dead Sea from where they're going to cross. This all just goes down to the Dead Sea and all of a sudden it's just dry and the water's just sitting there. Building up, building up, building up, building up, building up. And two million people cross the river. And not this is not far from Jericho. And from Jericho, it seems as though they might have seen some of this activity of two million people crossing this river. And they all get across, and the priests walk out of the river, and the water that's all piled up just goes, and down it goes like normal. Unusual things. Now it's said there, Gideon read it there, that it was during flood time, during the harvest time, the Jordan River used to flood huge. So it was as wide and big and deep as it ever is, all the side banks all flooded and flooded up. So it was tons and tons and tons of water, and it was quite a journey across. Across they come, they're out, they get out of the river. Now also think about this, the wider it is, the wider this river is, the closer they are to the city of Jericho when they step out of it. Don't think that God didn't, lose, uh, didn't choose that for a reason. As all two million people get out, there's Jericho, we're just seeing it. It's up on the hill, they've watched us all across the river in dry land, and we're stopping to camp for a while. Just gonna stay here. Now, what do you think the next step should be if you're gonna win a battle? Spies. You did the spies, you already know it. They know you're coming. There's no way. I mean, there's two million people all of a sudden there. What's the next step? Battle. Get ready, right? So how do you get ready for a battle? Well, God's got a whole different idea. They're not sharpening their axes and swords. Okay? God's got a different idea. And it's a very interesting thing. They've already crossed the Jordan River. They're kind of in a spot where a battle could happen. And they're just camped there. All right? If the city of Jericho wanted to send soldiers out at night to come and attack them, they're kind of vulnerable. But what does God do? Well, let's turn to... Uh, well, before we do that, I skipped a little part here. And this is an important part. While the priests are still in the river, God has this plan. And he says, go into the river, pick one person from each tribe, each 12 of the 12 tribes, go into the middle of the river where they're standing, where the priests are standing, and each get a big stone, a big one that you can carry on your shoulders. They take that out of the middle of the river, and they carry these large 12 stones up until they stop and camp. They build a little monument with 12 stones stacked on top of each other. And what's the point of the monument? Well, to honor God, but the point is for their children. Because their children will not cross the Jordan River like that. 
They will not see that amazing spiritual thing happen, that miracle that God did. So here's a pile of stones, and as you walk up with your dad, and you say, what's that pile of 12 stones doing there? Well, let me tell you what God did one day. When we first came to this country, God piled the water up down the river, and we crossed over on dry land. Those stones are from the middle of that river, a mile in to that water. That's where those stones are from. We carried them out on dry land. And we, God wanted them, us to put them there just so we could ask us about them. Now Joshua also said, let's take 12 stones from the edge of the water, from up on dry land, and we'll go and put them in the middle of the river too and build something in the middle of the river. And that was a thank you to God. Because who's ever going to see them again? Just God. Underneath the river. And no humans are going to see it again. It's all the way out in the middle. And the humans aren't going to see it. Alright? Sometimes you need to stop and do things just to thank God. Now, we do those types of things sometimes in our church. When we built a new barn, God was going to use that barn. We stopped, and we had a little after-church celebration, sing some songs, do some things like that, and said, God's going to do great things with this. Look what God did. Here in the middle of COVID, God gave us the ability to build this barn. And... He did so many blessings and so many miracles that you got to see and got to see a part of, but your children won't see those. All right? So it's time to remember and think about those things. We have been praying, so you know, we've been praying for 30 years for more land for the church, for parking in particular, for 30 years. More than 30 years, probably, because we've always been really tight and not a lot of place to go. Now, God gave us just enough with this house. God gave us just enough with the village. We had a few more. But then one day, all of a sudden, God had a farmer who for 30 years had not said a word about it, gave us a plot of land. That was in 2019. And in fall of 2019, we put in the stone down there, a parking lot. And who the world ever needs a parking lot that big? Until 2020 came. Right? <laughs> right? Who needs that, right? Until we had to do church in the parking lot for almost an entire year. Because God knew. He had all those things all lined up. And 30 years ago, he said, I got that piece of property all lined up for you. When you need it, I'll give it to you. You'll have it when you need it. You don't need it till then. And when you need it then, I'll give it to you. And when you need the next thing, I'll give it to you. Just in time. What if, what if that farmer hadn't done it at all? Or hadn't done it till the next year? 
right? But God was moving. It's much bigger than that. So those things have been happening here for a long time. You were a part of seeing what it was. And so remember to tell others, your children, about what God has done. All right? So now we do the stones. And then when we're all done doing the stones, set up the stones, God comes in and says, okay, now I've got to prepare you. Chapter 5, we'll skip along. Chapter 4 basically talks about them moving the stones. And just for interest of time's sake, go to chapter 5. We're going to go to verse number 1. Please. Whomever. It's a long one. Somebody read it. And it came to pass when all the kings of the Emirates which were on the side of Jordan westward, and all the kings of the Canaanites, Canaanites, which were by the sea, heard of the Lord, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of Jordan from before the children of Israel, until we were passed over, that their heart melted, neither was there a spirit in them anymore because of the children of Israel. So God before they ever fired a shot in a battle, everybody heard about them crossing the Jordan River. This was not so they didn't get their feet wet. That's not why God split the Jordan River. God split the Jordan River because he was going to work in the hearts of all of the people around. And why did he do that? Why did he work in the hearts of the people around? Because he loves them. Well, he loves them, so he's going to destroy them? (laughs) Because there are some Rahabs out there. Truthfully, that's one thing. There are Rahabs out there who do believe and will believe when they see. And Israel ended up taking in people in their nation, people who would believe. There's a whole section of laws about people who aren't born as Israelites but come in. There's there's laws that talk about that quite a bit throughout the uh, Old Testament. People that have just basically believed. All right. So for that reason, and for those who will not turn to him, they're scared to death already. And all they did was walk across the river. The two mile river. It's a two mile river. <laughs> but they walked across the river. Yep. And God did it in such a way that everybody said, wow, their God is way different than our whatever we believe in. And every one of those different societies all had different gods. And that's why God gave the Israelites that land. Because those people would not repent. Those people would not change. Alright? And so, God says, you will have judgment. And you'll have judgment on your towns and countries and villages and all the different little kingdoms within the land of Canaan. And you'll get rid of those people. And, and I'm going to use Israel to judge you. God was working in all those places. 
But anybody who would come over and would believe could. All right? So, once they did that, then they knew something significant is going to happen. So what does God do? God says, all right now, now that you've crossed the Jordan River, and now that you're all set up for battle, I want you to circumcise all your males. Every one of them. All right? That is basically cutting the foreskin off of every man. All right? So it's going to create a wound, a bleeding wound, and the older you are, the more bleeding and the more painful it is. All right? So there you are getting ready for battle, and God says, why don't you wound yourself, everybody? And they waited for, they did, every male, because none of them had been circumcised since originally when they did it 40 years ago. But this whole generation was not. Remember, the old generation died off. So God says, do this, which seems like an odd battle plan, right? Why do that? Because God says it is much more important to take away the things out of your life, okay? And that's what circumcision stands for, is taking away the things in your life, all right, that would hold you back. The things in your life that make you sin. So if you circumcise your heart, that means that you are taking the things out of your life that cause you to sin. Take away the worldly things. All right? God says, if you're going to really prepare for this battle, you've got to be ready spiritually to do it. And as you guys approach into your part of life, as you're going in with this part of life, like I said, things will change rapidly. You guys will see different things than I'll ever see. And different things than Pastor Eric will ever see. This generation will come and will go, and you guys will be the ones. You'll be the ones that have to do something or have it go and blow away. In order to do it, you have to prepare your hearts. Be ready. And that's why God says it's not so important that you sharpen your axes. It's much more important that you're ready in your heart. All right? That's where you start. So he does that, and then everybody has to recover for a few days. And it says until they stop bleeding, basically. All right? That's when they got started to really get ready. Start to really get ready. And then something very strange, very significant happened. What have they been eating for 40 years? What is it? What is it? Yes, manna. Manna. What is it? What is it? Right? So the next thing they do after they circumcise all the males, they celebrate Passover right in the site of Jericho. Hey, let's have a celebration now. And what was Passover? The celebration of when they left Egypt, right? 40 years ago. So now they're circumcised. They've now celebrated Passover. 
and they're almost ready to take this city. Right? They haven't sharpened a sword. They haven't done any of this stuff because God doesn't care about those things. That's insignificant to God. What's significant to God is that your heart is in the right place and you're ready to obey regardless of what it is. Even if it's painful, you're ready to obey. And that's what God wants is obedience. Okay? So what do they do? This is, this is a very interesting day. For 40 years, they've been doing something. And now chapter 5, verse 11. I want you to read, please. 11 and 12, please. The day after the Passover, they ate some of the food grown in the land. On that same day, they ate grain that had been cooked. They also ate bread made out of, without yeast. And the manna ceased on the morrow after they had eaten of the old corn of the land. Neither had the children of Israel manna anymore, but that they did eat of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. All right. One day, all of a sudden, after they had Passover, somebody brought a little corn. There's some, there's some stuff over here stored up or in the field. And they brought some corn here and said, let's cook it and eat it. And they did. The first thing, and they didn't, they didn't plan it, but they came in and took it and they ate it. And that very day was the last day they ever saw manna. They woke up the next morning like they had for the last 40 years and went out to gather and there was none there. It was all gone. Because God gave them just what they needed till the moment they came in that land and the moment that they now could feed two million people with the crops and all the things that they were going to come through on that land. They were fed every day now from the land of Canaan. God had prepared. And what time was it when they came in? They crossed the Jordan. It was nice and wide. It was what time of the year? Flood season, Flood season and harvest. Hey, that's when all the food's ready, right? Let's walk in and take it. So God provided all the way through what they needed as they walked through and the manna never showed up again. There are things and seasons that happen in your life and God does amazing things and miracles sometimes. God provides in a certain way and then all of a sudden, sometimes things will totally change in your life. Things will not be the same. All right? We've seen some of those twists in the last couple of years in our life. Things just change. And they're like, well, I don't like it this way. But God has a different plan. God's doing something big. You just have to be ready for what it is that he's doing. Now, there's a last couple of verses that are important. Verse number 13, I'll read. Came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? Joshua was looking up, okay? Joshua was surveying what they're going about to take, that city of Jericho. And he's looking over and all of a sudden there in the shadows is a man with a sword drawn. He can't identify who he is. But he says, hey, are you for us 
or are you for the enemy? And his answer in verse number 14 is, and he said, no, but as the captain of the Lord of hosts am I now come. I'm not on anybody's side. I am on my side. Okay? I am the captain of the Lord of hosts. Verse 14 in the middle. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord of the hosts said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for thy place whereupon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. So there's a guy with a sword. Who are you? What side are you on? I'm on my own side. I'm the captain. And Joshua realizes this is God. He is looking God at God face to face. Now, I thought you couldn't look at God in the face. I thought Moses couldn't look at the face of God. Jesus? It is Jesus. But I thought Jesus hadn't been born yet. So, this is what they call a pre-incarnate Christ, okay? Means, big words meaning before Jesus was born as a human, he still existed. And every once in a while, when he wanted to, he could veil over who he was, his glory and Godhead, and just walk on earth. Come where he wanted to. He walked with Abraham. He showed up in Abraham's tent and ate dinner with him one time. Yeah, <laughs> which is pretty awesome. He showed up at Gideon's side, right? And Gideon fed him food, and he touched it and burned it up. Okay? Jesus can go where he wants to. Now, here's something significant. Here's Joshua looking up saying, I don't know that I got what it takes. Moses had God on his side. Moses saw God face to face. Moses was with God. Moses was up on a mountain and talked to God, and God said, remove your shoes. So what do you think Jesus is doing? In a different way, he's talking right to Joshua. Now, Joshua doesn't even recognize him at first, but neither did Moses with the burning bush. But as soon as he said, take your feet, take off your shoes, for where you're standing is holy ground. Why is it holy? Because I'm here. I'm with you. Joshua 1.9 said, I'm commanding you to be strong and brave, right? Because why? I will always be with you. I'm in amongst the shadows with you. I'm out in the light with you. I'm not just walking with you. I'm the captain here. Remember that. I'm the captain of the army. Joshua, you're the leader here doing what I ask you to do. But I'm the one in charge. I'm the general. I run this thing. Don't be afraid. Do what I'm asking. All right? And so he now has had the direct conversation with God. Not just a prayer, but an encounter with Jesus Christ himself. 
right next to him. And he worships him and he's down on his knees, on his face, laying on the ground. And this is amazing. I don't need to fear. And that's what we need to understand is wherever our life takes us, whatever God has challenged us to do and what's the next step in our life, and wherever this thing happens with our society and with our country, wherever it is, whatever battle God takes us into, it is not without him leading. It may feel like he's not there, but he is right there leading as the captain of the Lord of hosts. He's right in charge, right out front. All right? So remember that the next time you're annoyed and the next time you say, I can't believe this is still all happening and why doesn't my life go back to normal and how come I can't just do what I always did before and why does this COVID thing keep ruining everything and how about why don't we have good leaders and on and on and on we can say, but remember who's in control. Jesus is in control. Nothing is a mistake. And he knows exactly what's going on. He helps you cross that Jordan River, and he does all the work. And he shows all the people what's really going on. So be aware and be careful to be good witnesses and good examples in your life, wherever you are. Because he is with you. Be strong. Be of good courage. Next week, Joshua takes Jericho. All right. Thank you.